This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. You can turn there, and as you walk away, I want you to be able to meditate on the glory that you envisioned last week. So if you weren't here, that's okay, but I want you to be thinking through the goodness, the glory, and the gospel of Jesus Christ that you can be meditating on. So as we process through that, a lot of times in our life, the way it applies and the way we actually walk through the day is with the will of God. What does God want me to do? The wisdom of God. Okay, how do I put that into practice? What's going to be the strength that I have to do this? Get behind me, Satan. Fly. I can't stand flies. Um, Sorry. If that thing keeps going, I'm going to need to swat it. Get out of here. Okay. Uh, Anyways, so um, we're just going to battle it. Don't... My wife knows it's like 11 o'clock p.m. and there's a fly in the room and I'm up just hitting like walls, bashing them down, trying to kill every fly. I got it! Yes! I'm sorry for those who like insects. <laughs> it, was, it was the it just just think at it. Okay, anyways. All right. Renew the mind. Refocus. All right. We got to get back. Okay. Okay. With the will of God, the wisdom of God, the ways of God. All right. So I want to do something with you this morning. Um, if you will, just close your eyes. All right. If you don't want to, that's fine. But if you want to journey with me through this, would you close your eyes? And I want you to picture that you are swimming in a cove in Lake Lanier in Gainesville, Georgia. Now, you may say, I don't know what Lake Lanier is. That's okay. I'm going to paint a picture for you. Okay, so you're in a cove. There's beautiful boats driving by you. There's some docks along uh, the edge of the water. Uh, It's uh, uh, maybe a jet ski every now and then. There's a a huge wakeboarding boat coming by uh, because there's a lot of wakeboarding on Lake Lanier. Maybe somebody's doing a backflip behind it. Maybe there's a wake surfer behind it on a huge wave produced by these huge wakeboarding boats. Um, As you look around, you see the beautiful Georgia red clay moving up towards that beautiful green evergreen that covers all of Lake Lanier and those huge oaks. Around that you see the Blue Ridge Mountains, the highest mountains in the eastern USA off in the distance. Uh, As you look over the water you see uh, just ripples of waves um, and then large waves and they're swelling. You can smell the gasoline off of an awesome outboard motor coming by and that smell reminds you of fishing and wakeboarding and, and, and water skiing and being out in this cove. You swim up to a, a, a beach that maybe is the size of this room. Uh, it's beautiful, pristine, and there's nobody on it. You sit down in a nice beach chair. The sun's beaming down, but there's a nice cool wind coming by. You start eating that wonderful, good southern fried chicken. Beside you is an iced glass of sweet tea. And I'm talking about Georgia sweet tea. You finish that fried chicken off with a good biscuit and honey, because that's the only real way to finish off fried chicken. 
and you look around, it's almost time to go home, sun setting over the beautiful water. You hear a few largemouth bass slapping the water, maybe one of what you guys call rockfish. Those things are actually called stripers. They're just begging for a wet line and a sharp hook to be thrown in the water. But it's time to go home. All right, so open your eyes, and I want to, I want to show you how amazing our minds are. Like what you just thought about. I want to show you on the screen what Lake Lanier looks like. So if you will pop that up on there. This is Lake Lanier. This is where I grew up. My brother still has a boat dock on it with a boat and jet skis. My parents grew up, had a dock on it. We, I was wakeboarding, fishing, anything and everything in that lake right there. I love that place. Like that, that's kind of like my Bethel, if you will, from scripture. That's where I can go and just be with the Lord and be like, this is like where you had me growing up and being found in you, God. This is like a good place for me to meditate and just solitude, simplicity, all those good things. This is Lake Lanier. Go to that next, uh, next one. You'll see a little bit of that red, red clay right there. That's Georgia red clay. When you go there, you get that on you, you know you've been there because it doesn't come off of you. That's Georgia red clay. It's good stuff. You stick your hands down in it, and somehow it gives you like electrical impulses. It's crazy. I'm not kidding. This, this place is awesome. Um, but you can see around it, those beautiful green trees around those rock cliffs and the red clay. Amazing lake. Go to the next one. And this is my boat ramp. This is where I grew up fishing, jet skiing and everything. When we put the boat in, this is where we put it in. My dad had me backing in boats at three years old on this ramp. I'm not even kidding. Like, he'd be like, look, if you want to ride that jet ski, you better be able to back it in with a truck. I'm like, Dad, I don't have a driver's license. It's okay. You still got to figure it out. Like, we were backing these things in. He'd go get on the boat, and he'd be like, all right, back me in. Like, three. Like, just, like can't even reach the path. It was crazy. Like, he would let me back. I mean, I love it. I learned how to do it. And I grew up right there. That's where I grew up. My wife's been there. My kids have been there. I love that place. And what I tried to do with your mind was to take you there. Just by seeing things and, and thinking about the smell of things and, and tasting things, we can almost journey in there. Like there was never a time that we went out on the lake as a kid and didn't have Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like that was our thing, right? Like you always got to have that Southern Fried Chicken with you. That's just what we did. Like it's what I did as a kid. Now let me ask you a question. Actually, I'm going to mention a couple things. Southern Fried Chicken obviously is one. Those biscuits. Now I'd put molasses on them, but... I don't want to hear that. Ugh, that's delicious. That's delicious, man. Uh, um, how about um, a nice steak, smoked ribs? Y'all with me? Yeah, a good sandwich, maybe. Like you guys. No, I know what you guys like. I said this before because I'm I'm in tune with my state. You guys just want some cottage cheese and applesauce or whatever it is. That madness. Y'all, that doesn't compare to fried chicken. I'm just telling you. Okay, I don't know what y'all eat up here, but you're kind of in a smorgasbord of northern and southern. Uh, now, so here's why I tell you that. You guys are probably hungry now. A lot of times what we think dictates what we do. We started thinking about food and we got hungry. I get it. I'm hungry. Like, we're close to lunch. Everybody's ready to go get some lunch, right? You start thinking about things, and all of a sudden you want to do them. If I say, don't look down, what do you do? You look down. How about this one? I don't want, to tell you, I don't want you to think this is rude, but I need to tell you something. 
what's the next thing going to be? Rude, right? It's got to be. Okay, so now how about, how about this? I, I figured out a way that I think we can do this with communication. I think rather than saying, look, I don't want this to sound rude. I don't, I don't want this to sound mean. Here's how you start it. Look, I don't want this to sound nice. <laughs> and then just talk, start talking. Because they're going to be flipped, like their mind is going to be just unraveled. And you're just going to say, like, I don't mean this to sound nice, but, like, you should have, you should have, you shouldn't have done that. Like, that was really mean. You're, you're, that was the awful thing you did. And they're like, well, how's that nice? I don't understand. Like, just messing with their brain. You see, because what we think often dictates what we hear and what we do, and, and it sets things up. If you don't want to look down, say, don't look up, and people are looking up, like, why? And you're like, well, I just didn't want you to look down. It's amazing how our thought life changes what we do. And I don't think sometimes we give enough credit to our minds, to what the capacity of our minds can be. In fact, uh, philosophers and psychologists today, secular ones, would agree with this. And it's unbelievable how they would agree with, uh, with Scripture on this. It seems like they're just trying to catch up to Scripture sometimes in these things. Um, would say that what you think is often what you do, right? And, and in fact, some uh, secular psychologists would tell you that only when you found the deepest, darkest point of your mind can you actually overcome the deepest, darkest points of your mind. You have to allow your mind to go to where it actually is, to the wickedness of it, to get to that evil moment in it, to see what you are capable of, to actually overcome it. It's unbelievable. Like, look, I don't, I don't know all the intricacies of how our minds works in that capacity, but here's what I do know. You want to push out darkness, you got to combat it. You got to fight it. You got to know it. You got to recognize it. You got to call it out for what it is. You need to recognize sin, repent from it, envision what it could be, and then put it on repeat in your mind. And that's what we're talking about. Sometimes we need to recognize the depth and the depravity and the darkness of our minds and what it's capable of thinking. Because look, here's the thing. Most of us in this room have the capacity to think wicked, evil things. And the reason is, is we've seen it on movies. We've heard about it. We've seen it in the news. We know the capacity of man and women. We know what can be done, and it can be, conjure, it can be thought of in our minds. Now, I'm not going to ask you today, because I don't want to do this to you guys. I don't want to ask you to like, stand up and be like, here's the most wicked thing I've ever thought in my life. Like, here's the most evil thing. I don't think we should do that. But rather, we should get good at this. Standing up, speaking to one another, in our times and spaces, the most amazing things. The good things. You see, if we're going to push out darkness, we've got to start talking about what is light. We've got to speak those promises over one another. Once you recognize sin and repent from sin, we look at that glory and that goodness and that gospel and we start to put it on repeat in our mind. And what it does is it renews your mind. We're kicking out darkness. There's no space for this. We're doing what 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us to do. We're taking every thought captive. And we're making sure that when we take it captive, we replace it with the gospel. Because everything in us is being transformed by the gospel. The old has become new. Our mind is being renewed. Now I want to show you this from scripture. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 9. I quote this often. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've heard me say this a lot. I believe the freedom and forgiveness should never be left. Like the gospel and the centrality of Jesus Christ in our life and the gospel in our life. We never are going to walk away from that. We're going to move towards the meat 
from the milk to the meat, from the dessert to the sustenance. We're going to move into that, but we're never going to leave the gospel. The gospel is going to walk with us. Look, so that foundational truth is there's no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But verse 5 tells us how to live in the midst of that freedom and forgiveness. And that is that for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Look, if your daily life, if your mindset is consistently on the things of this world, if you can't disconnect from the things of this world and connect to what God has for you, obviously you're going to do things of this world. It's logical. What you think about is what you do. And if you, all you think about is the things of this world and the frustrations of this world, it's, it's going to be what you do. If you meditate daily on the things of this world, it's going to be what you think about and then ultimately what you do. We just proved it. You're still hungry. Your stomach's grumbling. You want food. I started that process and I apologize. But I do know this truth. That if we set our minds not on the things of this world, but the things of God then we will not do the things of this world, but the things of God. And our goal is to honor and glorify God in everything that we do. And if we're going to do that, then we have to honor and glorify God in the way that we think. Matthew chapter 16, verse 23 shows us how Jesus would handle this. It's the story of Peter um, uh, rejecting Jesus' uh, obedience to this father. When Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, Peter says, no, you're not. You've heard this before. I've spoken this before. The reason I share this so often is because this is Jesus' like specific moment where he handles students. All right, we've talked about how Jesus works with the sick saints, uh, sick saints and sinners, uh, and now we're looking at how he deals with the students. You and I are students. We are disciples of Christ. We're the ones who have followed after him, have faith in him. Now, what does he do with us? Well, with Peter, he rebukes him. Well, let's look at how he rebukes him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 23 says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but humans' concerns. Right? So all of a sudden we start to think about like, okay, Peter was thinking about the things of this world, and so he did something that was worldly. And Jesus wants him to think about the things of God so that he would do godly things like obedience to the Father, which is what Jesus was doing. So we can know in our lives that if we're thinking about things in this world, that we're going to do the things of this world. If we're thinking about things of God, we're going to do the things of God. Now, I'm just affirming this through Scripture. Jesus affirms it in Matthew 16, 23. It's just coming straight from Scripture out. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 21. Paul's going to show it to us in his life. It says, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is head, ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. That is envisioning glory. He knows what is ahead of him in heaven. He knows the glory that is to be revealed, the goodness that is to come. And he recognizes it and is claiming it and knowing that is his future. But here on earth, he recognizes that he has not claimed it yet, but he knows what is coming. And so, and because of that, he, part, he puts it into his mind and plays it on repeat, I think. And I'll show you in verse 15. Look at verse 15. It says, Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. Let all of us who are mature think this way. 
With our minds, we're going to think about the things of God, not about the things of this world, the things of man. We're going to think about God. We're going to think about what his heaven is doing, what his kingdom is doing in this world, his power, authority, and reign. What is it doing in this world? We're going to think on godly things, not on worldly things. And as we do that, we're going to grow in our maturity. If we claim to be mature Christians, then we think on the things of God and do the things of God rather than thinking on the things of man, just as Paul did. Romans 12.2 shows us another example. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you are able to test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Do not let your mind be repatterned or patterned into the things of this world, but instead, pattern your mind, renew your mind of the things of God. It's not, I mean, we can't just like hear something one time. We've got to, as I say, repeat it. We've got to re, uh, put it on repeat. We've got to constantly think about these things so that they become part of our language and become part of what we do and, and, and who we are. We put it on repeat so that we memorize it, meditate on it, that it comes up naturally when we're about to do things. And as Paul would say to us, we are not repatterned into this world, but we are repatterned into the things of God. And then finally, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Now note it down. It says, so if you have been raised with Christ, and then it shows us where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. So a natural question should be, what does it mean to be seated at the right hand of God? Because if I am raised with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, that means that I am seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean for me to be seated at the right hand of God? Well, it primarily means power and position. You have the power of God and the position of His Son, Jesus Christ. How? Because we've been adopted as sons and daughters of the king. We're not God. We don't get to partake in being God, as some denominations would say. But we do get the role of being a son and daughter. It's unbelievable. Like, let that pour over your mind. Meditate on that daily. That you have the power and position of a son and daughter because you've been adopted. You were once orphaned. And now you have this position and power. Now, think about how the world wants you to feel weak. There was a, a, in the, in the well, 20th century, but coming out of the 19th century, or, yeah, 19th into 20th century, uh, leaders would dominate. Uh, it was called positional authority. Um, they dominated based on being boss, being uh, the, the master, being whoever it may be, that they could say, well, I am your, therefore you do this. It's positional authority. It's dictating what people do simply because you think that you are their master or their lord or their boss or whatever else that you think you are in their life. But when we recognize that our position and our power comes from being seated at the right hand of God as sons and daughters adopted and we were once orphans and in this world there's weakness and in this world there's struggle and in this world there's failure and every attempt to grab power from this world is going to lead to destruction in this world but yet every person in this world wants power and greed and money and there's that desire in the heart. And that longing in the heart for power and greed and money. And as they long for that, and as people long for that, all they find is destruction. We have to recognize that it's because we weren't intended for a worldly power and greed. We were intended for a heavenly one. It's not that you can't have power. It's a different kind of power. 
It's a power that recognizes it's not to dominate over others, not to tell others what to do, and not to, uh, to be like a lord or a master to somebody, but instead, it's a power that is to be used to make others better, to lead others to be what God has called them to be. It's a different kind of power and position. My position is power uh, is a pastor is not to have a power of dominance, but to have a power of submission and service and sacrifice and love for you. To have authority, sure, in the Word of God, to know it well, but to serve you with it, not to dominate you with it. To give it to you, not to hold it for myself. You see, power and authority and position can be used for the good of the person or for the good of God. And we recognize that with God, we've been raised up, seated at the right hand of God. And in this world, you may long for power, but feel weak. But in Christ, you can long for power and have strength. Why? Because our, girl, our God is much stronger than the things of this world. The power of God is much greater than the wisdom and the power of this world, as we're going to see in 1 Corinthians. Now, I want, to, I want you to see something else here. I want you to see the difference between verse 1 and verse 2. Uh, in verse 1, it says, seek the things above. But in verse 2, it says, set your mind on the things above. There's a little bit of a difference here. Uh, to seek the things above, it has more to do with your desire, your love, your passion, your heart. It's really talking about that seat in your life that dictates what you long for. Uh, the, the setting your mind is more of what you think about. Now, oftentimes, what you think about is what you long for, and what you long for is what you think about. But they are two separate realities, which we're going to talk about this week and next week. What you think about will often be what you long for. And once we change what we think about, we usually will long for different things, desire different things. But this passage recognizes that we need to do both. We need to seek God with all of our heart, just like it says, seek first the kingdom of God, right? Uh, Jesus would challenge us to seek, to have a heart, to have a desire for something. And that something happens to be Jesus Christ and pursuing after him. To set our mind on things above means to think differently, and to seek means to love differently. And so as we ask the question, what does it mean, what does this passage mean to us? I think it's, uh, it's really rooted in this idea of being with Christ. It says you've been raised with Christ, you've been seated with Christ, you uh, uh, are hidden with Christ, and you will appear with Christ. Everything is about being with Christ. Sunagoge, with. Uh, synagogue, with. In Greek, the term soon. It means with. We are with Christ. What does it mean to be with Christ? We have his power and his position. What does it mean to be with Christ? We have resurrection. We have life. We have a freedom of forgiveness that we never had. With Christ is everything, and without Christ is nothing. And so it's important for us to understand as brothers and sisters in Christ about the way we think is that when we are with Christ, we have gained all things that God has given us, and we are not with Christ, and we have not gained things that God has for us, but rather have gained things of this world. And so you're going to think about this world when you're not with Christ, and you're going to think about Christ when you are things of uh, God when you are with Christ. So our aim and our pursuit is to be with Christ. As uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 would tell us, we want to and long to be with Christ. And so I challenge you, spend time with Christ and you'll think about Christ. Stop spending time with Christ and you'll stop thinking about Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So when you think about what we are to set our minds on, I want you to think about it in three ways. The will of God, the wisdom of God, and the ways of God. The will of God, Romans 12, 2, tells us if we don't pattern our mind after the things of this world, but rather pattern our mind after the things of God, then we will understand the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. 
And once we understand that, I think it helps us to see what we're supposed to do through the day. Have you ever been like just going throughout the day and you're like, man, I got to do this, 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 and that. Like I got to do all this stuff. And, and, and we get to the end of the day and we're like, oh man, I, I got everything accomplished that I needed to accomplish. But then you start, you ask the question like, yeah, but did I do what God called me to do today? You see, I think sometimes it's important, well, I think always it's important to stop during the, during the day and just go, okay, God, what have you called me to do today? What, what, what did you give me to do today? Am I following after that or am I uh, kind of moved away from your calling today and I'm pursuing other things? What is the will of God for your life and are you meditating on that often? And then what is the wisdom of God? You see, we've got to progress this way. You see, once you know what God has called you to do, we look at what God has given us to accomplish it. That is the wisdom. He's given us the wisdom and the power to do what he's called us to do, to know what is right and wrong, and to choose what is right. That is in you. The Spirit of God, the power of God lives in you to do what is right and not to do what is wrong. If you find yourself often doing what is wrong, think about your thoughts. What are you thinking about? If you find yourself pursuing evil things, what's in your mind? How have you controlled your mind? I challenge you, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are married or if you have children, constantly think about your love for them. Put it on repeat in your mind. They're given to you you by God. You are to steward over them in God's grace and mercy. You are to lead them and love them well. It's putting it on repeat that we are called to them, not just have a human uh, reconciliation with them or or unity with them. We have a God-centered, Christ-centered calling to love our spouses well, to love our children well, to love our friends well. So you put it on repeat in your mind. Okay, this is what God has for me. This is His will. Now, God, give me the wisdom to do it. What do I need to know to be able to accomplish this today? To be able to do your will today, what do I need to know and be thinking about throughout the day? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 24 through 25 tell us that God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. I love how Paul puts, this, puts that that way. Like even God's, he's using a figure of speech, but if, if God were to have foolishness, it would be wiser than any man's wisdom. If God were to have weakness, it'd be stronger than any man's strength. If you want wisdom and you want power, go to the source, the creator of the universe. And then we look at, look, if you, don't, if you don't put it in this order, it's so critical to put it in this order. Understand what God wants for you. Understand the wisdom and the power that is needed to accomplish it. Then we move into the ways of God. What, is, what are the specific things that God has called us to do and how to live with hope, with peace, with love, with encouragement, with a power and a position of, 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 of leadership and authority in this world that is submissive and serving and loving and kindness. So all these things, we see the ways of God, what God has called us to do. Now, here's the problem. We often won't do what God has called us to do if we... Uh, the specifics, like we won't follow the ways of God. We won't love people. We won't bring peace. We won't bring all these things unless we see the bigger picture of what God has called us to do. Like when you recognize, okay, God, you have called me to love my spouse well. All of a sudden, the different ways that he's called you to do that makes sense. Okay, well, okay, I'm going to sacrifice for my spouse today because God has called me to love my spouse and to be married to them and to uh, grow them and grow with them. I have a deeper calling than just a simple like business transaction of our finances are going to work together. We're going to raise kids together or something of that nature. That is not what marriage is. We've been bonded together. It's not what friendship is. We're encouraging each other, spurring each other, one another on to love and good deeds. 
needs. And so we start to see the will of God trickle down into the ways of God. And you put it on repeat in your mind. You think about it often. Okay, I'm supposed to live a life of love. Why? Because I'm leading people to Christ. Because I'm leading this world from hell to heaven. Because God's given me a bigger picture of what this world and this destruction and this brokenness looks like. And I am part of transitioning it from the hell that it is in to the heaven that is coming. And if I'm going to be a part of that, then I'm going to show peace and I'm going to show care and I'm going to show love. So the ways of God start to make sense. Romans chapter 8, again, I told you at the beginning of this, it says that those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their mindset on the things of the Spirit. What you set your mind on is what you do. The ways of God will become part of your life when you put it on repeat in your mind. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And then finally, uh, we uh, recognize that after this life, we will be in glory. I think the majority of people in this room, if I asked you, you would probably say, I believe that one day, if when, uh, when I pass away or when Jesus returns, I'm going to spend eternity with him in heaven on earth. I'm going to spend eternity with him. But you know, the difficulty of this is, that, is God has called us to seek what is above now. Now, what makes that so hard is that earth is visible now. Like, you can see earth around you, the beauty of the mountains, the beauty of the streams, the lakes, the canyons, the caves, the valleys, the the horizon on the ocean. A beautiful storm rolling in to replenish the earth with water. We see all these things and we long for them. We love them. They're beautiful and they're exactly what God created for us. They were created by the Father for uh, us to enjoy and to be a delight to our eyes and our senses. They are good for you. Now, what often happens to us is we worship the created thing rather than the creator, right? Romans 1 tells us this. We start to see the beauty of the earth and we worship the beauty of the earth rather than the one who created it. Earth is, it's wonderful. It's comfortable, uh, my wife and I saw an ad, <clears throat> and everything in like in, in our in our being is trying to become more comfortable, right? Like, there's an ad for a a uh, mattress that it's separated two people, and it hears you snore. All right, think about that again. A mattress that hears you snore, and then when it does, it raises it up. Now, don't start googling this. I just think that somebody's giggling. This. Starts raising up, sets you up a little bit, so you stop snoring, and wives are rejoicing at the sleep they get, right? Husbands wake up the next morning, pinched up like this, and they're like, what happened? You snored 7,000 times last night, sir. Sorry, we had to pin you up. And I'm like, how does this thing work? It's amazing, but our lives are centered on becoming more comfortable because we are in a earth that is, that is really centered on that. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's comfortable, it's normal, routine, and popular. We, like, you, you were raised in this world. You were, I'm not telling you anything new, you're like, what? <laughs> you're born in this world, right? I think everybody in this room, I can safely say, was born in this world. As of now, we don't have anybody being birthed in the, uh, you know, up there, that thing, uh, solar system and such. Um, so the majority of us would claim that this is like our home. It feels like home. It's natural to us. We breathe air from this earth. We know we need it. We know we need food. We know we need the light. We know we need all these different things to be able to survive. Like we recognize that this feels like what is normal. And honestly, if we're being like truthful with each other, we wake up every day and we feel like, okay, this is our normal routine and our pattern. 
Has anybody ever just like stopped to think why you sleep? Why do human beings sleep? It's weird. You go into a semi-comatose state. You don't recognize anything that is around you. Some of you snore. It's weird. Okay, I'm serious. It's weird. Think about it. If aliens got here and they were like, I'm not saying there's aliens. Come on, bear with me. I just, I'm just saying. Somebody, Jesus returns and he's like, I don't have to sleep anymore. You're perfect in heaven. There is no sleep. He returns to us and we're sleeping. It even says in scripture if he finds us sleeping. But it's just weird. Like, if he's like, look, your bodies weren't meant for this. You weren't meant to have to sleep. I don't know. I just wonder. But here's what I think. I just think about this often. I don't know if you guys think about this. Like, this world, everything that is in it, is not our home. I don't know if sleep's my home. Some of you are like, in heaven, I'm just going to sleep the whole time. (laughs) That is my heaven. I don't know. I really don't. I don't know some of those answers. I don't think they're even found in Scripture. I think they're making us wonder and get excited about heaven. But here's what I do know. We are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. But if we're being honest with ourselves, sometimes it just feels like heaven, or like earth is just normal, beautiful. Feels kind of like our home. It feels like like I, I wake up here, that's all I know. I have to eat food, and so I want the good stuff from this earth that provides. It's just all we know. And I think, you see, here's the problem. When we are not thinking about heaven often, we're not thinking about God often, it's much easier to feel like earth is our home because we see it, we smell it, we experience it, we wake up in it, we go to sleep in it. Everything around us is, it's so like, all of our senses are overloaded by earth. If you want to reset your mind to do things of God, then you're going to have to overcome the world. And I love John 17. You are not... You're not of this world. You're just in it. And he says, we are conquerors. We are overcoming. This world has not conquered you. It has not overcome you. And if we're going to do that, we've got to put it on repeat. We've got to remind ourselves constantly that there's power and there's wisdom in God. We can think on these things and we can have power and wisdom to overcome these things and we can become citizens of heaven on earth. We can remember our true origin and that is with Christ Jesus, that we are images of God, that this world was never, the, at least the depravity of this world, the destruction of this world, the darkness of this world was not our home. Like you weren't built, as we've said before, you're not built for disease. Your body's built for eternity. We weren't built for death. That's why it hurts. We weren't supposed to be given the emotions for death and to experience death. It's not what you're built for. We're built for glory. We're built for goodness. So the gospel gives it to us. My challenge to you this morning is to think on the gospel, the glory, and the goodness, not to think on destruction and darkness. Now, the way that we do that, it's, it's hard. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to like... Speak that over us as a group of beings. It's easy to have darkness infiltrate our minds and to think on wicked things. If we're not honest with ourselves, we'll, we'll say that we never have wicked, evil thoughts. That's probably not true. Okay? It's difficult to admit that, but it's honest. It's real. So I think with Scripture telling us this truth, especially in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 5, we ought to take these, thought cap- these, thought- these thoughts captive, hold them, put them in front of Scripture, 
Sometimes, if we've already put it in front of Scripture, we just need to cast them out. It's a joke on our staff. You can ask them. It's, it's not really a joke, actually. It's, it's actually probably just really valuable to our staff culture. Whenever one of us has a thought that's moving towards not good, we start to say, hey, we've got to take those thoughts captive. And we just grab them. I mean, it's kind of funny. Maybe it looks weird to you guys. I don't know. It's our staff. It's what we do. Um, but it's, but it's, for us, it's important because we know that sometimes our minds can go and wander into something that's not healthy. Now, if you know that too, and if you'll be honest and open and humble about it, maybe we can all come to the reality that, look, this darkness, this wickedness that can come into our brains, take it captive, kick it out, and replace it. Let God's word go from old to new, from evil to good, from darkness to light, and replace it with that goodness. And so we start taking those things captive, kick them out, putting in good things, and that's called meditation. We're kicking out the bad, bringing in the good. And I'm not just saying good. Look, this isn't 10 steps to make you feel better. It's not 10 steps to make you a better human being. This is how to draw near to Christ. Kick out what is wicked, bring Christ in. His word poured into your heart, poured into your mind. Think about it all the time. Talk about it with others. Encourage one another with it. Hebrews 3 verse 13, encourage each other daily with it. And I want to challenge you with this throughout this week. Seriously, write this down, put it in your phone, take a picture, I don't know, um, whatever. Go home this week, read Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. It's like a road map to thinking on things above, not things on the earth. It's a road map to think of things of Christ, not of things of this world. As we follow after it, it shows us a few things. I'm going to give you a simplified version of it, but I want you to seek it out yourself and set your minds on it. Okay, so here's a simple way to put it. Be killing sin, as the quote would go, be killing sin, or sin be killing you, kind of thing. Be killing sin, be thinking pure, be forgiving, be loving, be meditating, and be thankful. It's straight from Scripture. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. You're going to find these things. Kill sin, think on pure things. Love people, think on thankful things. Meditate on God's Word. Don't just meditate. Meditate on God's Word. You do this, you'll reset your mind. You'll start renewing your mind into Christ. So here, look at the pattern. Look at what this is doing, okay? We recognize sin first week. We see it. We see the darkness and the depravity and the messed up thoughts and the messed up actions we've done. Recognize those things. That's not fun, okay? I know it's not. I don't, that's not the, like, that's not the good part, okay? We move into uh, um, repenting from that, so turning away from it and turning towards Christ, and in that turning, we need to see what glory might look like. We need to see what life without that messed up lifestyle, struggling mind would look like. And then when we find that, find the glory and the goodness and the gospel that God has for you within that struggle, pour it over your mind. That's what renewing your mind is all about. Take the glory and goodness of the gospel, pour it into your mind, put it on repeat, and don't let it go. Because nobody in this room wants to go back to the darkness. Nobody wants to go back to that, to that moment of recognizing sin. I, I don't want you to have to return there. It's not a good place to be. In fact, what I'd like for you to be able to do 
is to be able to recognize sin, repent from it, move to vision and glory, go into retra- uh, uh, repatterning your mind, refocusing your heart, retraining your actions. And anytime you start to slip back into that struggle or temptation and sin, you start to take it captive. That way you never even have to return to it. Can you imagine a day where you don't have to return to it? That guilt and shame gone. Struggle and temptation, gone. That sin, gone. Taking it captive. Taking those things captive until the day that Christ comes back and returns us into glory and goodness through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Until that day, we're taking things captive and we're not returning. Now, you may slip. That's where the gospel comes in. We may struggle. That's where the gospel comes in. But in in our effort, in making every effort, as the gospel would tell us to, in making every effort, in repatterning our mind, and refocusing our heart, and retraining our actions, we're pursuing after Christ, and we're letting go of the things of this world. Kicking darkness out, focusing on the light. Becoming citizens of heaven and not citizens of this world. So as the band comes forward... I'm going to give you a, a challenge for you to walk away with. This is your gospel response. In response to Jesus Christ, living the life we couldn't live, dying the death we should have died, and raised from the dead so that we can too, we're going to respond in this way. Okay, based on this passage, we're going to seek it out with our hearts. We're going to talk about that next week. But we're going to set our minds. We're going to think different. So how are we going to do this? We've got we to gotta do this as a group. We've got to do this as a church. Like we're together in this. We're reading God's Word and applying it in our lives together. We're going to rethink. We're going to renew our minds. And here's how we're going to do it. All right? So I'm going I'm to challenge you with it, and, and, and I want you to be able to put it into your life and however your life, sort of the rhythm of your life, change it up. But I'm going to give you some, op- some options here. I want you to make a rhythm in your life. That's what I call it. You can call it a discipline. You can call it a pattern. Whatever you want to call it. I want you to make a rhythm in your life. For one minute every day, and maybe you want to do it like multiple times throughout the day, whatever that looks like for you. I like to do them in the morning and in the afternoon. They really help me. Take a couple minutes, whether it's one or many. I just want to challenge you at least one. Take a one-minute pause in your day and be silent. Now, in that silence, obviously, the silence is not just to let go of thoughts, but it's to put in good thoughts. And so what are we looking at? The will of God, the wisdom of God, and the ways of God. One minute pause. God, what did you call me to do today? What is the wisdom you've spoken to me to be able to accomplish it? And what are the ways that I'm specifically going to be able to accomplish that? God, what do you want me to do right now in this moment? Reset, renew, think different, and let that carry you on. When you stop thinking about it, pause. One minute, refresh. What is the will? What is the wisdom? What are the ways? Take a one minute pause every day. If you can do more, please do more. I'm not trying to tell you to do some legalistic structure. Again, I'm not trying to give you 10 steps to be more healthy. What I'm asking you to do is to pursue after Christ. And if his word directly tells us to meditate, and if his word directly tells us to set our minds, I'm just giving you a practical way to do that. Take a couple minutes a day. Pause throughout the day. Second thing I want you to do, and they all have S's, so they're easy to remember. Silence, right? Here's solitude. Once a week, take an hour and get in solitude. Away from everybody, away from everything, and you're meditating. You're meditating, you're replenishing your wisdom, will, and ways. You're meditating on God's Word, letting it pour into your life. You're encouraging or being encouraged by God's Word. 
Maybe after it, you're taking it to somebody else to encourage them on what God shared with you throughout that time. Now, this is not a Bible study. This is not inductive study time. Okay? It's not when you're searching through the scriptures and making highlights and notes and all those things. Those are wonderful things. But what I'm challenging you to do is to have solitude and meditation. That's different. Okay? Spend time in prayer as God's pouring into your heart. That's fine. But specifically meditating on what God has already called you to do, His will, His wisdom, and His ways from His word. And then finally, simplicity. Once a month. Take a day. That's going to seem extreme. But I'm, I'm going to give you some, like, this, out of love, I'm going to just give you some real talk. And I've said this often, I've said this sometimes, I don't know if I've said this from the stage. It's easier and better to reset your mind, renew your mind, and pursue after Christ than it is to overcome a tragic sin. We can either prepare our hearts change our minds and pursue after God or what most often happens is we pursue the things of our minds, those deep, dark struggles, those temptations that cloud out good judgment and good wisdom. And we do things that we never thought we would ever do and we never thought we were ever ever capable of doing. And then recovery from that, it's hard. And I hurt for you if you're recovering for that. I really do. I hurt. But right now, in this moment, today, you can make a decision. Run away from the darkness. Sprint towards the light. Kick out the old. Bring in the new. Change the way that you think. Change the way you love. Change the way you act. In Christ's name, I pray and hope that God will change, transform you in His grace and His goodness. So as you walk away today, I'm challenging you to think on the gospel, think on the good, think on the glory. Don't walk away today feeling shame, feeling guilt. Don't. Recognize sin. Repent from it. Find what glory and goodness God has for you and put it on repeat in your mind. Because there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Put that in your mind. Let's pray. God, would you help us to change the way that we think? Would you help us to set our mind on things above, not on earthly things? Would you give us a mindset of the Spirit, not a mindset of the flesh? And I just pray specifically, God, this morning, that you would overcome greed, like we prayed last week. I just pray in, in, in unity with that. God, would you overcome envy? Would you overcome anger? God, would you overcome any impure money thoughts? Would you overcome any impure physical thoughts about how much we eat or how little we eat or how we look, or how we don't look? I pray, God, that you would help us to overcome any lies, deceit. I pray, Father, that you specifically would help those in this room who struggle with any sexual immorality, anything outside of the confines of a healthy, godly marriage. I pray, Father, that you would renew our minds to think differently, renew our hearts and refocus them, and help us to see, help us to see what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven 
on a world so distorted by evil. Help us to see the glory and goodness you have for us and pursue it. I pray, Father, you would change lives this morning, change minds. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.